right, this is our Inspiring the Next CMO podcast series for Behind the Fluff podcast from the International Bunch. It's specifically for those in marketing, those interested in marketing, those in academic publishing, scholarly comms and libraries. Who are we going to be talking with today? Lisa Spitko. Lisa is an industry VP and Lisa's going to talk with us about her love of all things awkward, how rummaging through microfiche and microfilm planted the seed to her future career with libraries. She'll also talk with us about advice that she gave to her early career self about not taking things so seriously. The older you get, you know the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Everything's going to be okay. That the giving of your time to mentor others is the greatest gift that you can give, the greatest currency. How the pandemic has left her in awe of people's ability to overcome all obstacles in order to put their families first. And what words she'll be taking back with her to the US from her time in Australia. So why don't we just go and jump straight in? Let's go. Welcome everybody to our Behind the Fluff Inspiring the Next CMO podcast series. You can find lots of fantastic resources on our website, www.internationalbranch.com forward slash inspiring the next CMO and also forward slash be inspired. Today, I would like to welcome Lisa Spitko. Now, Lisa is Vice President in the industry. So, hello, Lisa. Hello. I'm so pleased to be here today, Lou. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. I am absolutely delighted to have you here, especially because here I am in Wales in the UK. There you are in Melbourne, Australia. So, truly global. Truly. I know. (laughs) Now, Even if I don't sound very Australian, I always let people down that way. <laughs> well, I was just thinking before when we were speaking that um, because we're doing this while you're still in Australia, you'll look back at this in, say, like a couple of years when you're back in the US and you'll be like, oh, listen to my voice then, there's that twang of the Australian accent in there, or I said that word. <laughs> so you'll forever remember what your voice is like when you're in That's Australia. Great point. I'll, I'll, I'll try to insert heaps into this and that will really make it authentic. Yes. <laughs> so before we get started, um, I've got one question for you. Now, something we ask everyone before we start is that we have a campaign that we run called hashtag Intbunt Word of the Day. And so we would love to know what is your favorite word and why? So, you know, Mary Sour Games took one of my arguably Favorite, favorite words, which is awesome, and um, and that's fine. But you know, my kind of next, I, I would say my the next cab off the rank for me in terms of favorite word is the word awkward. I've always loved the word awkward, and I think because it's kind of onomatopoetic, right? I mean, it it sounds every bit as awkward as it is when you look at the when you look at the letters and how they come together, and right. and it's just. You know, to me, anytime I have an opportunity to use that or to type it, it, it always just kind of bring, brings a smile to my face. So awkward would be my word. Yeah. You know, that's oh, hopefully so it won't be too awkward today. No, not <laughs> at all. Um, you know, that is so true because it is, it is a random word when you think about how it's spelled. And it is, yes. it very much says what it is. You know, when you hear awkward, you know exactly what that means. That's right. What to come up with. I love it. Well, I'm glad that you asked. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> well, thank you, because uh, we can pop that into our campaign, because I don't think well. we've covered that one yet. <laughs> Good. I was hoping to be original, too. <laughs> so, um, 
when we um so first things that first we want to know a little bit more about you of course and um so what is the best thing that you have discovered in this last very strange year that we've been living in as a pandemic mm. oh gosh i mean it, it feels like there are so many ways to kind of take that question around you know looking at personal resilience and respect and, mm. and the opportunity to get to know people more deeply I'll say that the kind of my own personal areas of, of interest has been a rediscovery of classical music. And that's been largely as a result of my 14 year old who is studying piano and, and is passionate about classical music. And so it's interesting, it had been years since I had really engaged with it. That has shown up with me. My other COVID habit is I learned how to knit. Um, and, and that, and I did a lot of it for the holidays. Um, and that really helped during the 111 day lockdown that we had here in Melbourne last year. Um, you know, so, so I did a lot of knitting and made a lot of Christmas presents and, um, and it was terrific. I felt good about it. I've got a new skill. I love so. that phrase that you just coined, COVID habit. <laughs> COVID habit. I think we've all have a COVID habit. From the past year, definitely at least. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I completely agree. So, who inspires you? Oh, so you know, this is tough because I there are so many you know named individuals, um, people that I hold in really high respect. But as I really consider this, I, I come down to individuals that I know that are show such bravery um, under the most challenging of circumstances. And, and yeah, I don't know that I've shared this with you previously, but both of my children are adopted from Guatemala. Yeah. And so I always have, and, and I'm aware of the some of the circumstances that Guatemalans and other peoples from Central America will experience and having to flee their country. And I mean, and, and that's not just a Central America phenomenon, that happens in many places around the world. I think that people who are truly motivated to take that on and leave everything, leave family, leave support, move someplace else with the promise of a new life, doing it under the most challenging of circumstances, maybe not even understanding the language. Um, I, I can't imagine the circumstances that get you to yeah. that point. Um, it, it's unthinkable and I'm so fortunate that it's unthinkable to me. but. I, I can only imagine the the level of, of bravery that it takes to do that. Um, and then, you know, how that manifests in sort of generations to come. Learn, you know, developing the resilience and, and the ability to kind of cope and, and ultimately not just survive, but thrive. So I just think people that come through those sorts of, those kinds of unthinkable circumstances and are able to you know, come out the other end of it. it. It just takes a level of courage and conviction that I can't imagine that I would ever have. Um, but but that that to me is always something that, that really, really resonates. So not a particular person, but more kind of that that type of behavior, I guess, that uh, that really speaks to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I completely agree with that. And you're right, it happens all over the world. And we have these refugees that you know, the even highly educated people and teachers and people of all different professions suddenly find themselves in war-torn situations or in terrible situations and have to leave their homes and literally 
have to walk to the next country and find themselves with absolutely nothing. And it's, right. it's absolutely terrible. It's, it, a couple of years ago, well, it's probably more than that now, probably about three years ago, four years ago, I remember at London Book Fair at the conference, they had a, um, a librarian come and do a talk. And he had been at the University of Mosul. And when ISIS came in, you know, they had to they had to leave. And I think it's about three years he was a refugee. And they completely decimated the library. And um, they burnt it. And um, they burnt the books. And it was horrific. And he had come back um, with help from a charity to start rebuilding the library because the university students were starting to come back. And you're right, you know, you, you see these people in these different situations and the strength that they have as people is absolutely incredible. And I remember mm. when he was speaking, I literally, like, you know, tears are welling in my eyes because it's like, wow, you know, what an incredible, incredible person. And we sometimes oh. forget that that's even people that maybe like we've known through our careers and suddenly they're in a situation in the country and something happens and they, they just disappear and we'd never know. That's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I'm fortunate, you know, living here in Melbourne, I've, I've met a number of people that, I mean, we, we live in a, a real melting pot and, and it's wonderful, it's beautiful, and we've enjoyed it just so much, especially as a mixed race family. But you're right, I mean, people wind up opening up to you and you realize, well, they've come here and they've left their families thousands of miles away. And they were working, you know, and they might have been living really comfortably and they may have had very professional um, careers. And then they take on something and they're suddenly working odd jobs and they're cleaning homes because they say, well, this is ultimately what we need to do um, to create a better living condition for our children and our children's children. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Oh, I feel, I feel quite, you know. <laughs> Well, I could eat a drink after that. We could, we could, we could get really heavy into that. We could really light tonight, couldn't we, with that one? Um, so when we, when you were young, what did you want to be? Well, goodness, I, I'll say you know it, it. It ran kind of ran the gamut. Um, I had really bad asthma when I was a kid, um, and and you know, and it's very well controlled as an adult. But I mean, as a result, it just felt like I was continually you know, under the care of, of a doctor and, and, you know, frequent stays in the hospital and whatnot. And like I say, just, you know, touch wood that it, it's been great as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, but that said, so, I mean, I was initially really drawn to kind of the, the caregiving type of professions, um, potentially medicine, doctor, nurse, whatever. Then, you know, I kind of got into high school and I decided that I really wasn't that interested in kind of science and, you know, a little fascinated with, but it, it just, it didn't really stick with me. I became interested in writing, you know, and, and, and did a little bit of that. And, and, and I don't know, I mean, it, it, so where you start isn't often where you finish. I try to tell that to my kids right now. You know, there's a lot of career pathing and to say, goodness, I had no idea then and have gone through several stages of adult, adulthood where you say, am I really, you know, am I really working to my purpose? So, yeah. But you see, the thing is, is it, Lisa, is that as humans, we live, a lot longer now than we used to many years ago and so if you wanted a career change halfway through your life you know have a career change my mother retrained i think it was in her must have been late 40s or early 50s she retrained um to be a solicitor um oh. and 
she had been an interior designer before that. And so, you know, she obviously then had to apply um, to solicitors. And she was up against people that had just left law school and, you know, young people. But, yeah, she, she got her, um, I don't know, I don't think it's an internship, but she was, you know, ended up with the solicitors and absolutely loved it and specialised in um, trusts. So, yeah, the world is your oyster. You can do anything. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's, you're not done until you're done, right? Exactly. Exactly. As long as I'm learning something, I'm, I'm energized that that's, that's the goal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you were to have dinner tonight, well, and considering it's nighttime for you now, so literally you're going to leave here and go and have dinner. And if you were to have dinner tonight with anyone in the world from any time, whether they're alive or dead, who would? Mm. Oh, that's that's tough. That's really tough, especially you know when you talk about alive or or dead. I mean, if I if I could do this, if I could really do this, yeah, it would be Frederick Chopin. Mm. So, and and this is kind of going back to that classical music theme that I was saying. Yeah. And and actually, I mean, as I think about it, he ties out to the kind of refugee. I mean, he left his homeland of Poland when he was 18 and he never returned. You know, I think he went to Vienna inspired by Mozart. He went, um, he ultimately, you know, lived in Paris. His heart is actually buried in, I think, the Church of the Holy Cross um, in Poland. I mean, he's he's, you know, a national hero there. But um, but I, I would I would have him and I would want to have like a really great piano at the ready, obviously, um, because I just enjoy his music and it just brings forth you know every bit of kind of melancholy and longing about missing Poland, but also those points in time when he was in love and you know and enjoy. So I would hope that he would play probably Fantasy Impromptu. That's one of my favorites. And then the one that I'm still working on on the piano is Nocturne Opus 9, number two. And I would have him play that for me as more inspiration than say, well, okay, you know, I'll get close someday with more practice. So I mean, that's who I would invite to die. Yeah, to have the master play, I mean, that's quite an incredible thing, isn't it? Could you imagine? Amazing. I mean, music is, sometimes I forget about music. And then I'll put on Spotify and I'll put on some random playlist. And then I'll just be like, I'll fall in love again. And every time I listen to something I haven't listened to for ages, like I remember last night I was sitting on the sofa with my husband and I was talking about, oh, do you know, I haven't, I saw someone, I said, oh, that's the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. Do you know who that is? And he was like, no. And so I played. He's like, oh, yeah, I know that song. And then I, I realised how much I love that music. And so today I was like, I'm going to put the music on in the office. I'm probably going to be doing some data stuff. So it's great. I'm going to have it blaring out. Everyone in my neighborhood is going to be listening to 30 seconds of <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I like you. I, I Classical music is a, is, a, is a beautiful, soulful music. And um, there are so many different types of classical music as well. And uh, it's, absolutely incredible especially when you have so many instruments together and orchestras and oh absolutely fantastic and i did not know that about chopin and i where's the rest of his body then if his heart's in the church i think i think the i think the rest of him is buried in paris where he died to, to my knowledge but yeah there was a whole story he was apparently terrified of being buried alive um and so 
he had apparently said to his sister who was with him when he died, make sure that they cut me open and, and they take my heart. So they did. And there's this whole story about how she had to sneak it back into Poland because I think that that was under Russian rule at the time. Sneak it past guards. I think it was passed around members of the family. I mean, like, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But then it was ultimately, it made its way to the Church of the Holy Cross. And then there was a bit of, um, I think, scientific work. And I think it was published in, you know, the Journal of the American Medicine Association or something like this. Yeah. Ultimately, they went in and they examined it. They didn't touch it. They took hundreds of photos of it to try to figure out what his actual cause of death was. So... So there, there's, you know, the whole, if, if all you have to do is a bit of research on Chopin's heart and, and there's even, you know, fairly recent scholarly articles written about it. So oh. that's, that's fascinating. That's <laughs> so, and I wonder, yeah. I wonder if they are great examples, I have to look them up, if they're great examples of um, multidisciplinary authorship. So you've got authors from a, oh. from a historical side and authors from a scientific side, because I think it's fantastic when you see those kind of that kind of research coming out. Right. I love this because I feel a bit selfish because when I do these podcasts, I learn so much. Um, <laughs> Wayne, the Wayne Syme interview, he was talking to me about Henry VIII. And uh, there was things I didn't know about Henry VIII. To be honest, I didn't pay a lot of attention later on in school. So um, you could probably teach me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's very fun but you're right you just learn along the way i love it oh, yeah absolutely so let's talk about your career now tell me yes. about your career and how you got to where you are today okay so you know it, it started right after university and my very first job was working at an instructional design firm and what was interesting is I, I didn't realize at the time, I mean, I was working as an educational researcher. I was spending a lot of time in the university library, and I was the one that was sent to dig up things in the archives and go through the microfiche and microfilm and whatnot. And that was great. I, I really enjoyed it. But number one, it was a woman-owned business, which is fascinating. Um, and, and this was quite a number of years ago. Number two, every member of this firm, and they were basically a consulting firm, either had their PhD in evaluation and measurement or instructional design, they all had their Masters of Information Library Studies, every single one of them. And, and, and I found this so interesting. And of course, I was spending a lot of time in the library. And so I worked for them for, for a couple of years in a different circumstance than took me, took me elsewhere. But it really planted the seed of what I could do with the degree, and it really provoked a very high interest in libraries, which I'd had, and I'd always been, and I'd always been one to regularly go to the library and study at the library and, and whatnot and do that all through university. But that really motivated me to pursue the degree. So I ultimately did that a couple of years afterward, went on to the University of Michigan, and this is one of those just by chance situations where I got the last seat in a course that was taught at that point in time by the president of University Microfilms, Joe Fitzsimmons. Mm-hmm. And, and what was interesting is I, I had worked in a role where I was running a, an inbound marketing program for a firm that was doing work on behalf of Ford Motor Company in the Metro Detroit area. So I had kind of a business bent and business experience under my belt. And so as I was speaking with my counselor for that first term, she had said, you might really enjoy this class because it's really around the information industry. 
That sounds interesting. That was it. So like I say, the last seat in that particular class, and that changed everything for me. Absolutely everything. We took a field trip by bus to OCLC. Amazing, right? And at that point, um, Joe brought in industry leaders like Roger Summit at the time, who was with Dialogue, um, Ann Hartman, who I think was with ABC, Clio, other names that, that aren't coming to mind at the moment, but it was a such a formative experience. And I did well in the class. The next term, I was offered an opportunity to intern at, uh, at UMI, and that was it. So I finished the degree and I've stayed effectively within this sector, you know, serving libraries or focused on ed tech or focused on education, but something that always had the library at the center of it. So it came, it went all the way back to that first role after university. Well, there you go. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. interesting. Absolutely fascinating. There's so many questions I could ask you there, but I think I would probably go on for a long time. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting how you started your career in a firm that is that was woman-owned. And I think was it all the employees were women as well? Yes. Yeah. All of the and employees were women. And that's that's quite something. Even nowadays, that's quite something. I mean, we if I look at like the international bank, because we're marketeers. Um, the three core members of the team are all marketers, and then we have our freelancers to help us, but we're also all women. Now that isn't because that's how I designed it, that's just because we did have um, a gentleman with us last year. And so that is just because our industry is predominantly female. Um, right. It, that's just the way that it is, but it's fascinating. I can imagine, and I obviously don't know the, the person that was running it, but I can imagine from what you said and what we've talked about before about that organization, because just so everyone knows, I often chat to people before we have these, because sometimes it's people I haven't seen for a while and we just gossip for ages. Or <laughs> sometimes it's just like you and I meeting for the first time and you were recommended to me. And, um, um, and we just gossip anyway, because, you know, we, we get on so well, it was so easy. But what I, what I, Fenced is that probably the person that who originally you when you started out was probably quite a strong individual. Oh, very, yeah, yeah very. It, when I when I think of you know people who have had a really formative influence on my career, it really goes back to the president of the firm, the person that you know that onboarded me, and then certainly the other women with whom I worked, but. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she was purpose-driven. She had exceptionally high standards. She really had a people-first orientation. Um, if I think of kind of first mentor, yeah. it, it really begins with her. And, yeah. and it's interesting. I mean, I don't think I really understood at that time how unique an experience that was. But then, you know, as you continue to move through your career, and I've worked with, you know, I've worked at large organizations, not, not like not not huge, but I mean large enough. Well, 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 big now. <laughs> yeah, and bigger now, and about to be even bigger. That's right. <laughs> but but this was a small firm. It, it was a small business experience. But gosh, for my first 
you know, first experience out of university, um, it, it couldn't have been more formative. And we stayed in touch for years. Um, you know, she was interested to have me go on to the, the library science program where I was living at the time. And, and like I said, it just it, it didn't work out for a number of different circumstances, but was pleased to know that I took it up afterwards. And, uh, and, and as I said to her, I never could have predicted how this one job made such a difference. Yeah. You just don't know. You have to be open to it, right? You just uh, have to be open oh, to it. absolutely. Absolutely, you have to be open to it. And I think sometimes good or bad experiences, it doesn't matter. They all shape us as people. And you just have to learn from them. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I love that she was such an inspiration to you at the start of your career. Um, I, I can certainly look at back on my career and know of some key specific individuals who were incredibly inspirational for me or had such a dramatic change in my mindset career-wise that really changed me as a person um, for, the, for the better, always for the better, that just empowered and enabled me to be like, yeah, I can do this. Right. Um, so... Um, what have you been most proud of in your career? Most proud of? Oh, my goodness. So that's, you know, it, it comes back to probably the people that I've worked with. I mean, it, it kind of, it builds on what you were just describing, right? So you find those people who have personally influenced your career. They've been there for you when you needed it. They've, they've helped to kind of show you the way. And so for me, um, any opportunity that I have, whether it's with members of my team, whether it's through mentoring, um, Gash ProQuest has a wonderful mentoring program, and I've taken that up several years in a row now, and I've done it with previous employers and well in the past. I think that there's really nothing more important. Um, and, and what, you know, what, what I guess I'm proud of is where I feel that I'm able to just help make a difference, you know, and, and giving your time. I mean, when I think of the greatest currency, the greatest gift that we can give is our time. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes, and this isn't to say, you know, gosh, I have all the answers because I certainly don't, but I have a listening ear, <clears throat> excuse me, a listening ear. I will, I will give you my time. We can talk through it. I'll continue to contemplate it, whatever the situation is. Um, I, that, that to me is what makes a difference. I have a very good friend who uses the expression when one rises, we all rise. And I have, have absolutely adopted that. I love that expression. So I think that's what I'm most proud of, just the people that I've been able to kind of give that lift to along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, incredibly impactful on our lives. And, you know, that really resonates with me when you think about time. And I think hindsight's a great thing. And we only really learn this as, long as we get older and we need to have the experiences to learn. That we're sometimes so to give away time to things that we shouldn't give away time to or people that we shouldn't give time away that's to right. because we'll never get back but that's all part that's of the right. learning process isn't it that's it exactly right. my mother it. would certainly say that i probably had some boyfriends that i shouldn't have given any time to isn't that funny yeah some of the relationships that you say well you know, try to try to capture the learnings if you can, but maybe it's time to move on. And and I remember getting some of that advice from my mother and thinking, I, 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 why would you even say that? And then you look back on you go, oh, oh yeah, really, really, 
I guess she actually knew. Yeah. 95% of the time you realize your mother was actually right. And you're like, (laughs) if not even higher, completely. Yeah, Yeah, completely agree. I think I'll give myself 5%. I dated someone for about four and a half years. I really shouldn't have dated. Um, And, uh, my my family were not not pleased with me but the more that they were displeased the more i wanted to prove to them that i had made the right choice (laughs) 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 they worked their magic in the end my parents they did a good job they did work their magic in the end they sent me off to university and i went oh this is life this is fun (laughs) (laughs) so um what have you found the most challenging the most challenging, okay, the, this, I, I put simply, I think to not let other people's preferences undermine my self-confidence. Yeah. That's really hard. I mean, I've, you know, there, we work with a whole range of people, right? And, and whether it's the people that are part of your immediate cohort or it's your immediate manager or someone in an even more senior level role, you know, you're, you're, you may work for perfectionists. You may wind up working for people that micromanage you. I mean, I've, I've been in both of those situations, right? I've worked for people that didn't really listen. You would yeah. try to explain things and they don't really listen. And, and what I have found is that in, in those situations, I will struggle to not let that underline, kind of undermine my better judgment. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and it's not tied to gender. I've, I've had this in, like I said, I've had this when I've reported to men and to women. Yeah. Um, but, but I've experienced that same situation. So it's just, you know, at the end of the day, coming back, and my husband is a great one to say, wait a minute, you know, why are you agonizing over this? Don't you realize you've got, what do you think? I don't want to hear what this person thinks or that person thinks. What do you think? You know, and helps to kind of pull me back to pull me back to to center. I guess that that to me yeah. is, has has been a challenge that shows up, and you go, okay, here we go. What an incredible person to have in your life because he obviously clearly values you as a person. And I think often in organisations, it's funny because I was talking to someone the other day who's really at the top of their game, but they said to me, I would have to get consultants in. To um, to advise on what was already my opinion, but I had to get someone external, mm. and that right. that just shows sometimes that often people don't value the team that they already have and the opinions that are already there, and there should be more value and there should be more trust. And your husband fully knows how valuable you are as a person, and he's like, no, I want to hear what you've got to say. And I think that's incredibly important and it's probably um, very, very important in terms of like your career and helping you to mm. be more confident. Because often when we do these podcasts, maybe you're going to say the same later when I ask this question. But when I do ask people about what would you tell your early career self, I think pretty much everyone has talked about confidence. Yeah. And I think it's something that you know we don't have as when we're younger um, in our earlier career or it doesn't matter what age you are it's the age of way not the age of you as a person but the age of your career so in terms of that and so yeah it's um it's a very um 
it's a very interesting area and what a what a very special person he is um, I, it, it's be, I mean, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And you're right. I know that I can go to him and I can say I'm really struggling with this particular situation. And he will, you know, he'll he'll come back and he'll give me he'll give me the hard talk where he'll say, I don't even know why you're debating this, you know, yeah. you, and 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 so it, it kind of stokes me up and you say, well, OK, actually, it, it's like it shakes me out of whatever clouded vision I have. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but he can, you know, spouses can communicate in really yeah. direct ways. And he will do that with me at times when he'll say, just stop it. But he stop knows how to communicate with you, doesn't he? And I think that, <laughs> that also goes to your point about when you sometimes work with people that aren't listening to you, it's because you're not communicating in a way that they will listen to you. And that often yes. the way that you have to communicate with them is a bit alien to you. But that's fine. It's about working out how can I, how can I communicate with this person in a way that I just give them information that's effective and they just take it and run with it, and that's a, that's a real challenge in itself. And I think oh, it sure is. Yeah, no, it's absolutely fascinating. What a what a fantastic chat. Um, it makes me think about my husband like that as well. And I think if we're lucky to have people in our lives that we can talk to, um, in that respect. I think that's a very, very, very important thing to have a sounding board that brings you back down to earth as well. Oh. I mean, we're all unique in what we do, and we've all, I've had experiences, we could have the same conversation with the same person at the same time, but our experiences are different. So we're all incredibly unique, we bring so much uniqueness to the table. But that question you get in interviews, tell me, why are you unique? Because I'm me. <laughs> because there's no other me out there. No one can replicate me. Can't replicate you. We are very special and very unique as individuals. Um, I won't ask you that at the end then. <laughs> <laughs> Cross that off if you were going to ask me that. That's right. So, so now, being VP of marketing, what's your ultimate career goal? See, oh, 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 <laughs> yeah, heavens no. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny, I mean, in the course of my career, I've never had one of those, okay, I'm here and now I want to be here by this age and, and whatnot. I've, I've, known, I've known people that have, that have sort of, you know, charted their life that way, and that's great. Yeah. I've never been wired that way. Um, you know, for me, I always, oh, there's the cat. He wants oh, to we were waiting for that. Yeah. Cat bomb. Don't know if you can hear him. Oh, oh yeah, now he's in. Oh. <laughs> that all pandemonium one. And <laughs> It'll that all be love that you rescued just beside you there with the one flower that it's finally, because so everyone, Lisa, um, had um, had gone to a depot store and found this plant that was looking a bit miserable. And there you see this beautiful flower on it. But her cat is a plant killer. <laughs> she lets him in, he'll be like, that, that's it exactly yeah so we're so we're not going to do that because it will get ugly and let's face it i've already nursed this one to to, yeah. to solid health so i'm not going to do that just, anyhow i i apologize for the for the interruption there but oh, no. it's normal nowadays isn't it that's the great thing shows that's, it. Human. that's how it goes when you're working at home that's yeah. right um no i think so so to answer your question kind of ultimate career goal for me, it's always around just wanting to find an opportunity to make a difference. Um, and that is, you know, making a difference either with the people who are members of my team, those people with whom I'm working most closely, making an impact on my business, the organization that I'm that I'm serving, 
and hopefully helping others to achieve the best results possible. Uh, you know, you and I share a, a bit of experience within kind of the scholarly space and library space, and and I think that that's part of what has always drawn me to this sector, yeah. this education. I, I sort of put all of these ed tech into kind of the same big big bowl, yeah. Um, and and I look at that as a sector where fundamentally people um, come together because they believe in the value of information and education and making resources available and, 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 and the power that that has, the transformative power that it has to generate really positive outcomes in people's lives. So, mm -hmm. you know, so for me, the passion has always been around this sector, this industry. I love marketing, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have the same passion if I were working in I don't know, well, maybe travel and tourism. I'm not sure about that, though, really. If you've got travel, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but like working for Kraft Foods or something like that, you yeah. know, it, it, that that's not it. This this library experience from where I started out, I mean, that's really, you know, that's what's in my DNA, I think. Um, and so the career goal is just to continue to help and to serve and what the next role is, I don't know, but I'm always looking for opportunities to learn. And I have that in heaps, there I worked yeah. in the word, I have that in heaps right now at, at Innovative, so. <laughs> oh, fantastic, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an incredible um, sector when you work with libraries. Um, I absolutely love li um, information professionals librarians and i just think they're absolutely an amazing community and when i took some time out um following redundancy and i just needed a career break because i had just been working some obscene hours so i didn't get made redundant but then i got made redundant so you know no for me there or for me um and uh and i missed it so much I'm literally my heart pined for six months for libraries and so oh. I came back I just I just thought you know I, I think for many of us and it's funny when we talk about because one of my things is the value of marketing departments in organizations and it's an area that I'm going to look into more and how marketing is valued but it goes for many departments and I think it's very interesting sometimes when you look at some academic institutions for example and how the library is valued in the institution or how undervalued it is mm. um, yes. and it is an absolutely integral resource and an incredible community um so yeah oh, fantastic completely agree um so so if you weren't doing your role now and money <laughs> was absolutely no object that'd be great that would be amazing be? yeah Oh, goodness. So, you know, I kind of paused on the whole travel tourism thing because, I mean, that, that would be, of course, we've all been kind of confined to quarters or confined to our landmass and whatnot. Yeah. But, you know, so so love, love travel, love cultural experiences and, and whatnot. And I always find that that kind of takes me out of my box in really, really good ways. And I've, I've had the for good fortune to be able to do some of that not near as much. Life is short, and it seems like that and resources are usually at, you know, at odds. In the absence of having to worry about money, I think that that could be, that could be one, one passion. The other passion is honestly <laughs> growing things. And this is crazy, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I, I've always just left a trail of plants wherever wherever I live um, or wherever I work, and and you know I bring them into the office and find the sunny window windowsill, and then you know come summer take them back, put things out on the deck, and then come fall. Okay, thing, you know I'm continually potting and repotting. So there's something about that um, that I you know maybe I will go back and get a degree in, in horticulture. I don't know, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so one of those two. One yeah. of those two. Well, yeah. I mean, it might mean that you have to do a bit of science. <laughs> well, you that's right. In high school, went no. I know exactly. That's so, but okay. <laughs> I know that's right. But somehow, when you take that on as an adult, and you realize, okay, you have to get through it, and this, you know, I could probably do it now. But yeah, you know, we'll see. Well, what, what do you do then with your plants when you're? When, when you go, um, when you move back to the U.S., what do you then do with all your plants? Well, that's just it. So, you know, I've already started talking to the neighbors here um, to sort of see, you know, do you have an interest in houseplants? Oh, I don't have a whole lot of room. And, you know, right now we're under lockdown in, in Melbourne and um, and a very close friend who has a green thumb and, and said, yes, I will take all the plants is unfortunately outside of my 10 kilometer range. And I'm not sure that I can work out a transport to go one person to to the edge of one boundary and then to the next. So we'll have to see. You know, hopefully oh. this will be lifted so we can get together and I can bequeath the plants. But otherwise, I will I will find I will find homes for them because man, I'm kind of that way. As we say here in the UK, a man in the van. That's what you need a delivery driver because they will have they will be unrestricted. So he comes, you put yes. them all in. Bye. Now that's okay. Now, Lou, that's a clever. I was just going to say, you know, I'm going to make a note about that. That that could work. Thank you, Lou. That would absolutely work. Um, Okay, so um, which, so now I ask this question and sometimes people say to me, well, you know, when I say which inspiring three professional books would you say are a must read? and why some people say well do you know what i don't read that many professional books so here are my three books so they can be professional they can be you know not professional whatever you think would inspire people okay so you know i i have good friends that are avid readers and and i mean just kind of gobble up professional books and and i've always wanted to be that person i'm not i i'm i'm just not but I will invest the time when I sort of hear from close colleagues, people that I respect, oh my gosh, this is a must read. Yeah. So I work from the power of reference of, of those people that I really respect. Yeah. And so three titles come to mind um, for different reasons. So the first is The Five Dysfunctions of Team by Patrick Lencioni. Are you familiar no. with that? No. So it's a leadership fable. This is, it's a quick read, um, but it also comes along with a lot of support material. And it really talks about building first leadership teams, right? And and having a, a shared mindset and how everybody kind of shows up from different departments, from marketing, from finance, from product and so forth with different perspectives. And what's so poignant about it is that it is a leadership fable. So, I mean, it's really easy to read but there are there's lots of video resources. There's you know human human resource facilitation packets. So if you go through this as a leadership team, you can then have the very deliberate 
how do you take these things and apply it within, you know, within your leadership cohort? So that to me is a, that's been a go-to for years. And I think I've probably purchased close to a dozen copies of it. And mm-hmm. anytime that somebody, an aspiring manager has an interest in it, I give it away. So that that's mm-hmm. just kind of a favorite to, you know, to have at hand and give away. Well, you should so have I like that. affiliate link too. You only should just send them the link and then you'll start earning commission. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a great idea. <laughs> they can finance so my plan habit. I've read a couple of times and, and I'm reading it now. It's called The First 90 Days, um, Critical Success yeah. Strategies. Familiar with that book. So Michael Watkins. So I like I like professional books where like here's the model, here's the scenario, and here's how you can begin to take this and apply it. And of, of course, I've taken up a new role as VP of Marketing at Innovative. It's great. And I'm working those those suggested strategies around your 30, 60, 90, um, because it, you know, wh- whether you're brand new to a role or you're new to a team, you're taking on something. I just think it's a great reference. Um, yeah. I worked for a reference publisher for a number of years, and I think I kind of have this orientation around how can I take assets like this and kind of use them as ready reference tools for myself. So I love that book um, based on that on that particular situation. The last one is a book that was recommended to me by someone that I mentored a couple of years ago. And in and it was something that she wasn't that familiar with. She had started to read it and said, hey, maybe this would be something for us to engage with. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and now I I regularly suggest this with people that I mentor. It's called How Women Rise. It's by Sally Helgeson, I think his last name, and Marshall Goldsmith. Yeah, Goldsmith, I think. And it discusses the 12 habits that hold you back. So whether you're looking to advance in your career, you're trying to earn a promotion, you feel that you're stuck, you're not getting recognition, um, and it's really written specifically around women. Um, The mentoring program that we have at ProQuest is broader than women, but it had initially started as a women's mentoring program. And, and it just so happens that I'm mentoring, I've, I've mentored women um, this year and, and certainly in the past. It's really a helpful read. It's another one of those that here's the scenario, here's kind of the case study, and here were some of the impacts, and here were the learnings. And it's, it's you know, broken into these 12 habits that literally for the person I'm mentoring now, we're going through these, you know, next week we're going to talk about habit six, you know, and we will go through and kind of unpack it. Um, so... I find that a great, it's another one of those references that I kind of have it, have it at hand, flip through it, you recognize the behavior and, um, and, and it just, it generates some awareness. So those would be my three from someone who, again, I'm admittedly not a really avid reader of professional titles, but when I find something, I'll engage with it deeply based on reference. And then, you know, then I kind of put it into my circulating list. Fantastic. That, that last one sounds really, really interesting. I love ones that give you examples and you know, like case studies and things like that. So it, it shows you it's in practice and shows you how you can learn from it. And that works better for me in that sense because I think I'm quite a visual person sometimes, so I can visualize things in my head better. Yes. So um, if you 
So what is your most favorite book or podcast or blog? Oh, favorite blog. So I read two religiously and I think it's kind of a tie. I, I have a hard time picking one over the other. I like them for different reasons. So the first is Adapt, Lead, Succeed. That's the blog by Linda James Gilbo. You, you, you might, I was going to say, you must know Linda. Well, of course. And Linda's going to be doing one of these, hopefully in the future. So, uh, Good. Yes, yes. And Linda has been excellent at recommending the people to me. She gave me a massive list. But yes, Linda was Okay, there we go. So of course, of course, during your time at ProQuest, that, so that makes perfect sense, of course. So I love her style of reading. So I'm sure that you read, you read the blog. Um, I love her writing style. I love, I feel like I can hear her saying the words, yeah. right? Um, so I mean, it, it, but even if you don't know Linda, I can't recommend that highly enough. Um, it's a quick read. There's yeah. always things that I take from it, a couple of nuggets, and every time it lands in my inbox, I send it out to others. I have just like a regular distribution of people that I will, that I will send. So highly recommend that for the insights and, and something to revisit over and over. The other one that I like is the Tignum Thoughts blog. Now Tignum came and presented at one of the ProQuest sales conferences a couple of years ago. And the blog offers insights on sustainable human performance. I'm going to underline the word sustainable, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and it's about kind of coaching, recommended practices. It has a really strong well-being element to it, which I like. And, and it talks a lot about balance. And, you know, they, they made this point about how you have to have times that you give yourself a break. You can't always be in the sprint. You can't always be running the marathon. Yeah. That level of performance isn't sustainable. And so they talk about the importance of recharging. Um, and, and I think especially in light of what we've gone through with COVID and with lockdowns and what can feel like just a 24-hour work cycle, um, that blog has been a really important reset to say, okay, maybe you're not going into the office. Maybe you're working in a different situation. We're all having to juggle and you need to find ways to make sure that you can show up as your best self and you have to figure that out and you have to make the space to do that. So really recommend the Tignum Thoughts blog. Fantastic. Now, anything that we um, talk about when we do these podcasts is that we always include the link in the description. Perfect. I'll say, I'll do this for those who are watching the video. <laughs> yeah, so that you'll know that they are below. But of course, <laughs> the transcription, so there'll be hyperlinks in the transcription and then they're available in the description for the audio as well. No, they're, they're fantastic. And yeah, Linda's um, incredible, actually. And she was a, a, a really inspirational marketing lead as well. And I often oh, post on LinkedIn um, a link to the post. I often see in the comments such good feedback, different types of um, people in terms of their careers. So some from marketing, some from sales, some from different parts of you know, the business. So really, really interesting. Exactly. Um, so, if you could travel back in a time machine, what would you tell your early career self? Um, I would say, first off, stop taking everything so seriously. So seriously. 
you, you know, you, you develop, I think, greater perspective, the older that you get, the more that you kind of mature in life and, and just <laughs> as an, as an adult and in work, you start to realize that, you know, the sun is going to rise tomorrow. It's going to be okay. Things wind up working out. Um, but, but to not take things so very seriously and, and to give myself a break. Um, so I think that would be kind of one bit of advice. The other would be, you know, find your self-confidence and hold on to that. And this goes right back to kind of where we where we had started. Um, don't don't let that diminish um, and, and find what you know is really true and authentic for yourself and yeah. and nurture that. Um, don't don't let don't let that erode. Um, don't don't let anybody compromise that. Yeah. Or if you do recognize it and then stop it. Yeah. That's right. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So what's the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? Oh, so this, this was advice from my father and, and I, he would say something like you're going to make messes and you're going to make a lot of mistakes in your life and that's okay. Just clean them up, clean up your messes. And and, and I remember at the time I didn't really understand, you know, I didn't get it, but he would reinforce this. And even after I, you know, started a career and whatnot, he would say that to me, don't ever assume that you won't make mistakes because you will. And if you're going to make a mistake, you might as well make a big one, right? But you just have to make sure that what you do is then go in, hold yourself accountable and do what you can to try to clean it up, right? To, to, try, to, to try to make it right learn from it don't miss the opportunity to learn from it so that 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 to me has been a, 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 a sort of repeated phrase that i've used and i try to use that with my boys as well you're going to make mistakes just clean them up exactly and clean up your mess too clean up the kitchen too <laughs> and, and your bedroom yeah that's yeah. right i need to have a meeting at your desk under your loft so clean it up <laughs> True. Oh, I'll have to find, I'll have to find somebody really special to, to assume ownership, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, what is your number one tip for anyone working in marketing right now? Oh, I think that, I, I think there is no limit to what we can understand about our customers. You know, we, in, and I don't dispute, we spend a lot of time, we look at our analytics, right? I think that's hugely important. You need to know what channels are working. That's essential. You need to test your messaging. I mean, all of these things are at the heart of it, but at the end of the day, let's remember the customer. Let's make sure that the customer is at the center of everything that we're doing, whether we're solving their problems, the ways that we're trying to communicate with them. Let's remember that they're human beings. I think that's part of what has been, you know, COVID has, has has just been such an amazing experience for all of us around the world. Amazing and really in, in really bad ways, I understand. And, and and there have been positives coming out of it too. But I think we've had this really unique shared experience with our customers. And if anything, we've been able to show ourselves to them more authentically. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've been able to engage in discussions with them that were fundamentally around what can we do to, uh, you know, to meet the needs right now. So 
let, let's not let's not get away from that. So that would be my advice to any marketer. Just don't ever feel that you know everything about your customer because there's always more to learn. Absolutely. And as I talked about earlier about the uniqueness, they are human at the end of the day. They are each other. So you'll never learn everything about them. And we can do personas to get a rough exactly. idea of what someone's like. But I am sometimes surprised when I speak to some marketers who have not had the opportunity to actually meet the people that they're targeting. And they don't actually mm-hmm. know them, know any of them on a personal level. I haven't met them face to face, especially in the last year, but usually it's conferences. And um, but they're they're producing marketing and collateral and marketing communications for people that they don't know. Um, but I think you're absolutely right, that more authentic side has been so apparent in this past year, and that more human side and customer is centric. Customer is everything at the you know, of everything that you do and more authentic communications, because that resonates more. We're a lot more empathetic than we used to be, um, but we're also a lot more aware. And so, um, I don't want to swear here. I'm terrible for swearing. You're very lucky. Maybe I'd get like, I'd get my video editor to put like a beeper across my mouth with like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, it's uh, <laughs> They can they well I'll just say it, they can they can see through the people. So um, that's right. yeah, they yeah, so um that more authentic proper communication is so important nowadays. So what do you miss most since we've been in this COVID nineteen pandemic? You know, what what I have missed most is what I would describe as coffee talk in the morning with with work colleagues you know and whether it's they we're going to go and get a coffee together or we're going to come back and sit in kind of a commons area sit in an office with you know with a friend it's that it's that casual conversation it's the spontaneous insights that occur it's you know what happened last night it's you know it, it's the silly and it's also the you know like oh actually i was thinking about it. i wanted to ask you and you know, things that can also just kind of come up serendipitously. I, I suppose that that's a long-winded way of saying just like the, the, the casual contact. I think the closest that we get now is potentially signing on for web-based meetings early. You know, so if you jump into the meeting room a few minutes early, then you can have like the pre-chat yeah. with folks. And then, and, and you know, that doesn't have to be on topic. So it's the, you know, oh, I love the blouse that you're wearing or, you know, mm-hmm. Or what project are you working on over here? Or, you know, you just have an opportunity to kind of engage in the conversation that you would have done so very naturally had you been, you know, sitting face to face. Um, Just just amazing. Um, That that's that's what I miss. That's what I miss. Linda wrote a great blog about missing missing seeing people's shoes. Did you see this? I think it was her blog from earlier this week. Okay, you'll have, you'll have to you'll have to give uh-huh. it a quick a yeah. quick read, but just talking about I miss seeing people from their head all the way down to their shoes, and 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 I think that she says and there are some people that I work with that have great shoe collections <laughs> and that is true I'm not one of them but I you know there are several that come to mind and think oh yeah that's right I used to love just seeing like the style that this person had and what they were going to show up wearing today and those shoes yeah. so yeah that 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 kind of exemplifies it. 
I mean, we are all remote workers at the International Bunch, and I have been remote working since probably about 2012, I think it is. And so that's nearly, what's that, nearly just nine years. So it's been a long time since I've been in the office and, and stood at the, the kitchen making a drink, you know, and, and uh, then someone comes in and goes, oh, no, someone's eaten my lunch when they open the fridge and their lunch is gone. <laughs> And then, and then you know, it's like the hunt for who's stealing the food or whatever, and it's you know, big mm. office news and office politics and stuff. Oh dear! So yeah, I, I when you started talking about you know when you go and get a coffee, you're like, oh, remember those times you used to go to the vending machine and stand there and getting your water or your coffee and just chatting yes. about, you know. But I do love that, and I think that's a really important. But we have had so many key takeaways from this, but one of the one of a great one is. <laughs> If you're not going from meeting to meeting to meeting, log on to a meeting early and just have that bit of chit chat, which means that oh, when yeah. you do get to the time, you can just go straight into the meeting with business as usual. But you know, there are lots of things that organisations are going to say, cut your meetings down, so instead of it being half an hour, be twenty minutes or twenty five minutes, have a hard stop, make sure that you're having a break between meetings. I mean, I often speak to people, and you will, and you'll do it yourself, and I do it myself. It's like you're literally going from one meeting to another meeting to another meeting. It's relentless sometimes. When it's digital, you don't, you're not walking the field. You are, you know, there. Exactly. Exactly. No, completely, completely agree. I love that as a, as a, a takeaway, completely. Yeah. So, um, is there anything you want to ask me? Well, I would, yes. So you strike me. I don't know you very well, Lou, um, but as I told you at the beginning, any friend of Zoe Loveland's is a friend of mine. And as it turns out, we have more people in common than that. But uh, so I don't know you very well, but I sense that you're a very artistic person. Um, and, you know, we all kind of ex express that, express ourselves artistically in different ways. So I wanted to ask you, how do you do that? Yeah, no, um I sometimes ask people to tell me the question before, <laughs> just so I don't sit here and go, um, 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 because sometimes some people ask me things that really throw, throw me, but you did mention before when we chatted about this artwork behind me. Yes, so, yes. So these two are my three-year-old daughter, but they were from lockdown, first lockdown, when she was two, and she was putting post-it notes all over my wall, so I put them, let's see that hand there. And then this one is some artwork. And then this one is um, one of my dogs that passed away in October. On the day that she passed away, I got her paw into paint and just <laughs> put that on paper. Whoa. So they're, they're her paw prints. And then, oh and then my like, I flicked her paw like this and she had like a spray. And she was just like, what are you doing? She was a Scotty dog, like, really? So, um, so yes. So how do I... Oh, it's beautiful. How do I creatively express myself? Um, I think music, actually, even when I'm sitting here in the office and I don't care if people hear me and I cannot sing. You know, people say, oh, people just say that. And you're like, okay. And then you go on karaoke and they go, you cannot sing. And you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm So that kind of not caring. Um, but if it was artistic-wise, um, actually, when I, one of the times that I was made redundant, because I've been made redundant twice, is I um, retrained and I learned um, silversmithing and leatherworking. 
and became a, a leather worker. And I can make dog collars and leaves and belts and all that kind of, you know, lots of different things. Oh my gosh. And I haven't, I've got so busy building up my company that I haven't been able to express myself in any type of way. And now my daughter is three. I sat here the last week and thought, do you know what, I can, I've got plenty of room, I've got a big office here, this is our head office, I've got a big office here, I'm going to get the, the work table out, I'm going to get all my leather things around, maybe. and then I can do stuff like that with her, and that's a really nice thing that we can do together and make Christmas presents, you know, talking about knitting, you know, all those, yes. all those presents and things that we make, and that save ourselves a fortune at Christmas and birthdays. That's right, <laughs> yes. In the so that's, that's wow. um, some ways that I do it. And the other way, when I get time, this is a, a, a secret question that I've always wanted to learn how to do things and, and make music. And um, house music is a particular love of mine. So my husband for Christmas bought me um, a deck. And so I've got to learn how to DJ. And that would be a great way of expressing myself and making music. So when I get time, sometime, I'm going to put myself in a DJ course. Probably going to have to be up here in the office. Because otherwise, if my daughter's really interested in learning as well, she's only three, and I'm like, I could live myself my dream of being a DJ through my daughter. Because my dream is that when I'm in my 80s, I'm going to be a DJ granny. I'm going to be going to, you know, all these different places and I'm going to get up stage and this 80-year-old woman's going to be there going, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my retirement dream. I love that. I absolutely, I, I'm, I'm really <laughs> grateful that you shared, you know, the, the leather work and the, there is something that is deeply gratifying about working with your hands. Yeah. And and I have a very close friend here, and and she does a lot of a lot of work with natural fibers, natural materials, and I mean she weaves, and she has her home her whole coronavirus basket projects, you know, like wow. heaps of baskets that she's made, and 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 there is, and she had talked about this, you know, working with your hands like that that for her is the release. And I think that was in part what kind of motivated me to maybe take up knitting. I'd always wanted, I didn't know how to knit. I ordered a, K, a, a kit that actually came from the UK when we were headed into lockdown. And then I just took to it and I thought, this really is rewarding. Like just watching that I'm making something. So working with your hands, um, whether it's like you were describing with leather work, it's digging in the plants, it's yeah. knitting, whatever. There is something that, yeah, I, I can find that really fulfilling as well. And you rock on, DJ Granny. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I might not wait to my 80s. I might want to be a bit more nimble and stuff, you know, have to get up the stairs right up to the top of the stage. <laughs> yeah, I have this visual grandeur in my mind. I'm going to be like, thank that's hilarious. You got to be able to make it up to the balcony to see everybody on the dance floor. That's right. That's right. My arm up, you know. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Lisa, I want to say thank you so so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute delight, and it has been a real hoot. Now, before we finish, is there any other um, Australian terms that you just want to get in there? Oh my gosh! I I know. I. I, I think. I, but I was going to say, I, I used heaps a couple of times. Um, 
Yeah, I, I should have asked you at the at the outset, like, how are you going? Because I have actually adopted that, but now I realize that okay, I'm going to have to unwind that because that doesn't that doesn't necessarily you know fly everywhere else. Although I now understand it a bit more. Um, yeah, and, and I guess the last thing I would say is no worries. And people use no worries all over the world, right? Yeah. But I think that it was really born here in Australia. And I think that culturally, Aussies live it. Um, they really do. And and what a blessing and a privilege to have lived here and, you know, be a part of this culture that just has helped me to, yeah, begin to chill out a little bit and not take things so seriously. And yeah, just amazing. So I'll take those expressions, but even more importantly, the entire experience and, and the meaning, you know, with me. Well, my so. challenge to you, Lisa, is when you're back in the US, every now and again, you should just throw a term in, you know, one that you've a phrase from Australia, just to see. Now we have um, here in the UK for many, many years, long running, we have had two Australian soaps, um, Home and Away and Neighbours. <laughs> and, uh, and and I used to, until probably just a few months ago, literally watch them religiously, unless when I didn't live in the UK and I lived in Malta, and they had a neighbours that was like five years behind the one that I just left in the, in the UK. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a, ch- a character on one of those on Home and Away, Al Stewart, who comes out with the most amazing Australian um, terms that we hear in the you know the UK here like flaming and stuff like that. And we, <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry to any Australians that just heard me try to do that. And, but you know we hear like some of the stuff he said, and it's absolutely hilarious. You know, you're like, oh, I love it. You know? But yeah, so I oh, think- it completely. I have. I have a whole Australian, you know, in, in, in Australian dictionary that was given to us when we moved here. And I remember thinking, really, is that necessary? And I can't tell you the number of times that I've flipped through it because I thought, what did that mean? What did that mean? And then after a while, you realize, OK, yeah, I'm, I no longer need it. So, you know, it's, it, it, it is amazing. That needs to be added into this description. So do you, do you remember what it's called? I think it's called the Strayan Dictionary, S-T-R-A-Y-A-N, the Strayan Dictionary. And it features words like Arvo, you know, and of course Avo, because Aussies are really oh, big with Avo on toast. Yeah, and oh, Arvo oh, for the afternoon. Avocado, of yeah. Avocado, Avo, yeah, that's right. You know, everything is, is shortened. Yes. So last point, I my oldest son's name is Matthew. And when he, but we've called him by his birth mother, the name that his birth mother gave him, which was Carlos. But when we got here, he said, I'm going to use Matthew. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Go ahead and use Matthew. All he's been called is Matt the entire time we've been here. And he's like, well, nobody will call me Matthew. And I said, well, you know, you can try again when we go home. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have friends who are called like um, David and people will automatically turn to Dave and they don't like that. They want to be David. So, yeah. yeah. We, I think sometimes we do that habitually. But it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, Lisa. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Lou, the pleasure was all mine. This was it, this was just such a bright spot in the day, and I've loved every minute with you. And, and thank you so much for the opportunity. And, and uh, just what a gift to take the time. I've loved today's conversation, um, but equally just the opportunity to kind of reflect on on the career and and you know have a chance to 
kind of share some of that and, and engage in discussion. So a, a really precious time. I really appreciate it.